It's Monday, August 2nd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Florida has become the new national epicenter for COVID cases. Over the weekend, they had their highest one-day total since the start of the pandemic, with 21,683 cases. With an overall vaccination rate of 60%, Governor Ron DeSantis has refused to implement any new mask mandates or vaccine requirements at a time when other states are beginning to do so. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for this. The infrastructure bill keeps moving along in the Senate, and news of terrible conditions at a children's migrant shelter in Texas. Next, it's a seller's market out there, and in some cases, they are flexing their muscles to squeeze the most out of selling their homes. There have been some unusual demands such as taking all of the kitchen cabinets, and even toilets. Buyers worn out from bidding wars just accept the terms. Rhonda Kaysen, New York Times columnist and co-author of Right at Home, joins us for more. Finally, trying to make up for lost time due to the pandemic, everyone is getting married, and it's become a mad scramble for everything wedding-related. With marriages expected to be up by 50% this year, people are trying to do them on expedited timetables, and the price of formal wear, especially those dresses, are going up. Daniela Sertori Cortina, reporter at Bloomberg News, joins us for Summer Marriage Madness. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. There's a movement to try to um, impose more restrictions on the American people. And I just want to say in Florida, uh, there will be no lockdowns. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with some COVID news. Florida has become the new national epicenter of COVID. New numbers that we got on Saturday, they got a one-day total of 21,000 683 new cases. Uh, now, they're an interesting case because Governor Ron DeSantis there has uh, refused any mask mandates, vaccine requirements. This is coming at a time when a lot of other states are starting to implement that stuff. And uh, he even recently said that barring schools, uh, school districts from forcing students to wear masks. So they're the new the new big spot for COVID right now. I mean, Florida isn't even an example of a state that has been reluctant to institute protective measures. They've gone the exact opposite way, as you just said. DeSantis signed a bill into law that prohibits companies from asking people if they've been vaccinated or requiring vaccinations. Um, in other parts of the country, we see elected officials encouraging companies uh, to issue those type of mandates or those type of requirements. Um, as you said, talking about prohibiting schools from having children wearing masks instead of the opposite, where schools in some places have said schools should consider masks if the, if the levels of transmission are high in their communities. And I think we're seeing that play out with the rates of cases in Florida. They weren't encouraging vaccines. They weren't encouraging the type of protections. And now they're having a real explosion of cases. Yeah. And this variant is much more contagious, we believe, than the previous variant. So unsurprising to see that in Florida. And I really think that this is a difficult spot for DeSantis. He's trying to really set up a presidential campaign. He wants to run for president um, and he's going to have his track record in Florida, which is a lot of this meant to appeal to conservative voters who don't think it's government's role, but probably going to face a lot of criticism for the way that the virus has continued to spread in his state. Yeah, their vaccination rate right now is about 60%. So they're kind of in the middle, ranking in the middle among all the other states. But the theme parks are huge in that state. Uh, Universal has started requiring masks for their employees. 
Disney took it a step further. They're requiring most of their workers to be vaccinated. So we're going to have to continue to see how all this plays out. But for now, yeah, Florida's up there with their with their cases. Uh, let's talk a little bit about infrastructure. They moved along in the Senate a little bit more. Another key vote, 66 to 28. That's right. They've finally got a bill written on Sunday. This has been sort of the, a lot of votes on something that hasn't actually been written yet. <laughs> right. uh, one of those comical things they often criticize lawmakers for. But they have a bill. They have language. They're starting to circulate it among their members um, and then to the public. And that's going to continue this process. And the Senate's only got one more week left before they go to recess. So this is an effort by them to be able to go home and say that they've done something. But the problem comes in the House. There's progressive Democrats that are saying they don't want to support the bill unless they pass the other bill uh, so they can get it through the reconciliation process. There's some House members uh, that are saying that these senators don't know anything about transportation. That's Representative Peter DeFazio from Oregon. He's head of the uh, Transportation Committee. So a lot of them aren't happy with it, and they're threatening to derail it somehow. That's right. I mean, we're really seeing House Dems start to to push back. I mean, really, much of what's been going on has been about the Senate. It's the place where they need bipartisan cooperation to get things done. They can't pass things, for the most part, just on partisan lines. And so the House has really been cut out of negotiations because of that. And now we're seeing some of those progressives sort of rattle their chains and say, you know, we want to say here, too. I would be surprised if at the end of the day they kill this because, um, you know, it's like they asked for $100 and someone's offering them 50 Most people aren't <laughs> going to say no to the 50 um, And I think that's really, at the end of the day, going to be what gets House Democrats to, to pass the, the proposal that the Senate sends them. Finally, for this week, we're getting a slightly closer look into some of the government shelters for migrant children. This one in Fort Bliss, Texas, we're seeing allegations of sexual misconduct by staff towards children an acknowledgement that they're running low on clean clothes and shoes for them. And then some of the officials don't want to really come clean with uh, official COVID numbers going on in the facility. And this is coming in the form of audio obtained from training sessions with federal contractors. That's right. Great reporting by my coworker, Julia Ainsley, who's gotten us more insight into what's happening inside these facilities. And it's really troubling new details. Um, children in these crowded facilities, an untold number of them have COVID. They won't say, as you said, um, and now allegations of, of misconduct by some of the staff. Um, and this is really just an ongoing problem. Um, these children are being brought to the border. They're being brought across the border alone. There has been some effort to reunite them, but that has clearly not gotten these children out of these shelters quickly enough. Um, and then they're just being badly run. And I think that we're going to continue to see criticism of the administration until this gets fixed. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, you could have six, seven, ten bids and you get to take the one you want. But you also have a lot of leverage once you have that accepted offer because, you know, the buyer, if this deal falls through, may not find another house. So things that you may have negotiated before, you don't need to negotiate for anymore. Joining us now is Rhonda Kaysen, New York Times columnist and co-author of Write at Home. Thanks for joining us, Rhonda. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I've shared this on the podcast before. I am currently looking for a house, although I've taken a little step back a little bit. It's just the market is so crazy right now and a bunch of bids being outbid. 
everything you hear about the housing market is true right now because I've been living through that. And uh, Rhonda, you wrote an article about how right now sellers are know they have all the power, so they're making uh, you know crazy demands and saying, you know what, I'm going to take all the fixtures, I'm going to take all the appliances I want, I'm even going to take the toilets if I want. <laughs> and so Rhonda, tell us how crazy it is right now out there. Right. We are knee deep in a seller's market. And part of that is because we are desperately short on inventory. So if you're a seller, when you go and list that house, if you price it right, you're going to expect, you know, you could have six, seven, 10 bids and you get to take the one you want. But you also have a lot of leverage once you have that accepted offer, because you know, the buyer, if this deal falls through, may not find another house. So things that you may have negotiated before, you don't need to negotiate for anymore. And so if you want to take typical things like light fixtures, which are often up for grabs, you can grab those. But if you say, as one homeowner I found out about decides they want the apple trees in the backyard, you can probably negotiate <laughs> to dig those up. <laughs> Let's get into some of these. I'll call them fun because they're just <laughs> fun to talk about. Some of these fun and crazy demands that some people have. Uh, you mentioned in the article that somebody wanted to take all of the kitchen cabinets, which, I mean, that's kind of unheard of, I think. The funny thing with that is that the buyers actually hated the cabinets. Apparently, they were very bespoke. They were bamboo. They were very highly stylized, and it was the one thing they didn't like about the apartment, but they certainly didn't want an apartment without cabinets at all. The sellers did agree to wait until they remodeled to take the cabinets, but the fact that they demanded them was just startling you know, it may have to do with a rising market because another apartment in that building sold for $2 million more for $17 million a few months later. So it's possible that during the time that they went into contract and closed, they realized that they may have been able to get more money. So that's also part of the psychology that might be in play, that even though you got a great deal, you may feel like if I'd held out, I could have gotten a better one. I'm taking my cabinets and going home. You mentioned the fruit trees, you know, digging up fruit trees. That was another uh, condition that somebody wanted. They wanted to take the fruit trees. The buyers were like, it's going to leave a big, ugly hole. But they agreed to that one also. Yeah, in that one, um, the sellers, I guess, heard the ch their children had gotten the fruit trees as a gift from the grandparents. So these two fruit, these two fruit trees, I believe they're apple trees, were highly beloved. I have heard from other brokers that it's not unusual in the Hamptons for parts of the landscaping to go with the seller, that they get attached to these things. But in this case, these trees were like centerpieces of the backyard. But again, you can replace them. But it seems like part of me wonders with some of these cases is what are you going to do with the fruit trees in the next property? Will they go? Will they survive the move? Obviously, some people get attached to things. Some people just want to keep the stuff that they have. But there are more reasons for it. Obviously, you know, appliances are kind of, you can put it in the agreement. And, and that's kind of a little bit more understandable when somebody wants to take their appliances that they bought. But a lot of times they want to take them because it's hard to get those appliances again. It's hard to go shopping for things. There's shortages. So this also plays a part into it. Normally, you might take the appliances if you have a Viking stove, if you have like a very expensive appliance. But if right now, if you're moving into a new house and the previous sellers took their appliances, you may not be able to replace them. And I know in some parts of the country, in some markets, it's not uncust. It's not unusual to take appliances to begin with. But right now, you're, you know, sellers are moving in the same market the buyers are in. So they have a lot of power, but they're buyers somewhere else. So they're also on the other end of this conversation in the next transaction. Right. I mentioned the toilet at the beginning of it because it's the funniest one to me. I used to work at Home Depot and I worked with toilets and installations and things like that. I know how nasty those things can be. Why did this one seller want to keep this toilet? 
apparently there are these new smart toilets on the market and some of them are very expensive, thousands of dollars. It's not your typical toilet. They talk to you, they open, you know, they have a bidet, they self-clean. So in one case, a homeowner took all of her toilets. It was three toilets, I believe. And this case, this homeowner was, it was a sort of a sad story. Her husband, she and her husband had renovated their home. It was, you know, it was a, you know, a typical family home in the suburbs. It was not a, you know, this wasn't a multi-million dollar property, but her husband passed away and the toilet had been this almost like a joke in the renovation. He wanted this fancy toilet. They had a jar that they had saved money for the toilet, even though they probably could afford the toilet. They went, it was sort of an over the top toilet. And so almost to live on, to carry on his memory, she wanted to keep the toilet. She may have felt that he would have thought that was very funny. She was the only one where she included that information in the listing. So when people came for the open house, the toilet was almost like a topic of conversation because it was a pretty cool toilet. It lit up, the, the lid opened. And so the buyers were much more amenable. Nobody was offended. They understood. Rhonda Kaysen, New York Times columnist and co-author of Write at Home. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Take care. People are sort of seeing kind of like a window of opportunity to finally take the plunge with their weddings. Of course, this means that a bunch of people at the same time are trying to get stuff like wedding dresses. And in some cases, that means that people have to pay quite a bit more to get them. Joining us now is Daniela Sutori Cortina, reporter at Bloomberg News. Thanks for joining us, Daniela. Yeah, of course. Anytime. I wanted to talk about the wedding boom that's going on right now. You know, after 16 months of hard closures for the pandemic. People are out and about now wanting to get married, wanting to get it done. People that have held off on it, people that are just getting into it now. So marriages are expected to increase this summer and into the next year. But what's happening right now, since everybody's going into it, costs are soaring right now. People are having trouble getting dresses, finding venues. It's becoming an issue. So Daniela, help us walk through some of this, please. So we focused on this scramble to get particularly wedding gowns because of this phenomenon that we're seeing about people just wanting to get married. Um, You know, according to one of the stats that we found, marriages in the U.S. are supposed to rebound about 50 percent from their slump from last year. And, you know, this is a combination of people who, you know, maybe had held off because of waiting for a year and a half to get married. Also, we have these concerns about the variants that are circulating. So people are sort of seeing kind of like a window of opportunity to finally take the plunge with their weddings. Of course, this means that a bunch of people at the same time are trying to get stuff like wedding dresses. And in some cases, that means that people have to pay quite a bit more to get them. So that's what we're seeing right now. And one of the issues is the expedited timetable on this, too, because when you're planning a wedding, let's say just ballparking, a lot of times people take a year to plan it out. But right now, a lot of people are trying to do this in six months or less. And when it comes to dresses, it's tough to get a turnaround time like that, one. And two, when you put rush orders on things, they're charging almost double now to do these rush orders. That's one of the things that we found. So, for example, one of the larger stores that we talked to told us that people normally shop there, let's say, 9 to 12 months before their wedding. But they're seeing an influx of people shopping, you know, four to six months before. And I even, you know, when I was reporting for this story, talked to a bride who, you know, she had talked to her fiancé the weekend before and they set a wedding date for a month later. So a couple days later, after they set the date, she was shopping for her wedding dress. And so, you know, in those cases, you might have to pay for a rush fee. 
in this case, this particular bride set a higher budget than she would have otherwise because she knew that she wasn't going to have that many options. And sometimes you also have to take into account alterations. You know, if the dress that you find in the store doesn't particularly fit you like a glove. So, you know, another store that we talked to, you know, told us that the regular alterations package for people who start maybe eight weeks before their wedding can run at like $900 or something like that. <laughs> wow. But if you want it sooner, you know, something like if you're starting 45 days before your wedding, it might cost you a lot more, you know, closer to $1,400. So that's when the costs start to pile up is because you are doing things in a much shorter timeline than you would otherwise. For a lot of brides, they're even turning to a part of the wedding complex that you don't normally hear of, and this is pre-owned dresses. So there's a website out there where people can sell their dresses, and, and sometimes brides are having luck finding things there. Yes, exactly. So one of the brides that we spoke with, you know, she had had to cancel her March 2020 wedding, basically postpone the wedding twice. Um, she already had a dress, you know, but when I spoke to her, she was like, you know what, that dress just reminded me of having to move the wedding twice. So she wanted to look for another dress and she went to a website uh, called preownedweddingdresses.com, very self-explanatory. And she found a gown that another bride was selling. She got a very good deal. And in one of those kind of moments of hitting a gold mine, the measurements were pretty much the same as hers, which is almost unheard of. So yeah, some brides are just getting creative in a bit to, you know, avoid this stress and this mad rush of placing a new order, you know, especially when some of the stores that we talked to said, you know what, we're not making custom orders, we're not placing custom orders that are, you know, less than three months out because it's just too much stress for the brides, it's too much stress for us. So some brides are just getting creative on getting on those websites to see what they can find. You spoke to David's Bridal and a couple of other boutique stores. I mean, how do they handle all of this? Because as you mentioned, they're trying to book people months out now. They're not trying to do a lot of rush stuff because all these complications really add up for both of them. But so, so what have they said as far as uh, how they're handling it all? So there are a couple of things that popped up uh, here. So, for example, for stores like David's Bridal and Kleinfeld, uh, which some people might know from uh, the show Say Yes to the Dress, they told us that they're able to accommodate requests on short notice because they have a large selection of, you know, off-the-rack sample gowns. Sometimes, as, you know, one of the, the brides that I talked to, she bought the floor sample, you know, so it's a, the sample that people have been using to try on. So she was able to, you know, snap that up. So in those cases, that's an option for people who are looking for, uh, you know, just short term. And for example, in the case of David's Bridal, they have seen this increase. So they have hired more people. They have hired more of the stylists that help brides pick the dresses, pick the accessories to make sure that when you go to the store, someone's there to help you out. For more boutique stores, because, you know, some brides might want a custom order, one of them just said, you know what, we're not taking any more orders for this year. You know, we're booked through December, so if you want a custom order, might as well start right now. It was one of the things that one of the the other uh, store owners told us. She was like, you know what, in January, I was just making sure the place was pretty, you know, doing little like DIY projects. Now we don't get lunch with the number of people that are coming through. Daniela Sertori Cortina, reporter at Bloomberg News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. 
I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.